Stove Society show on Cairo. It's Tom Douglas and the chef in the chapeau. And Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And go, allez les bleus. Go blue. For the first time in four years, I've heard you say that. Um, in case you don't know what that means, uh, Terry wants France to win the World Cup. When is it? Sunday, oh. 7 a.m. That's, that's how I Cup feel about it. Cup of coffee in When hand. is it? <laughs> So people could be podcasting our show, turn the sound off on the World Cup, and listen to our show while There's they're watching. There's a good combo. That's a good trade-off, but still, you got to watch the game. Or you could tape it if you're too lazy and then, you know. We are later. taping here today. It's Thursday morning here at the, the Hot Stove Society Studios in downtown Seattle in the gorgeous Hotel Andra. Absolutely gorgeous. And we are thrilled to be here. we got a nice, lively audience this morning. Have you guys, uh, you guys have found the coffee pot, obviously, haven't they? I, I, we've given them many coffees. Yes, our producer Pamela is rushing us along because we have events here today at the hot stove. So we're going to continue and make haste with our show today. No waste. It will be a full two hours for you. Yes, two. Right, because of those. Like every week. Because we have commercials. That's right. We have to pay the bills. One of our favorite bakers, a longtime employee, and now uh, has moved on to. Uh, hot cakes. Hot cakes over there up on Cap Hill and in Ballard. Brittany Bartleben is going to be with us. You probably remember her talking desserts and cakes and cookies. And we're going to find out what's happening at Hot Cakes. Local legend and former CEO of La Marzocco. I mean, is it Marzocco or Marzocco? No, Marzocco. Marzocco. Yeah, so you misspelled here, Miss Producer. Um, Kent Baki is going to join us. Uh, I think it's arguable arguable that Kent started the espresso craze in this country. He made it better. He made it better. It, it existed, but he took in it Seattle. up a notch. Yeah, in Seattle. And he uh, actually bought a coffee machine company in Europe right, and uh, brought it to Ballard, of all places. Who knew? Ballard and Florence and, are his headquarters. So he's got some thoughts on the new coffee museum. We love shrimp for fast and fancy weeknight meals. I do. I'm a, I'm a sucker for shrimp. Yeah. And uh, the new, I, I can't even say it, the new blank grinder is all the rage, but we have better ideas to bring some crunch to your dinner. And then finish thinking of the show, as usual, with the Rub With Love Tasty Trivia Challenge. Sometimes Pam likes to mess around with that, uh, but today she's Not leaving today. it in place. She looks very serious today. Very. I'm worried. She knows that we have a lot of things booked here at the Hot Stove today That's and right. wants us to move on. Uh, first, our Taste of the Week, uh, which is something that I'm looking forward to hearing, Chef. Lake what House. Are you, what are you going to make for the, uh, for the Le Bleu, the Le Bleu La Football? You know, Sunday is going to be so early in the morning, 6.30 is going to be breakfast. And I'm not a big... Are you going to, like, stay in country? I think a good omelet, sauteed mushroom, a little grated cheese... Some toasted beautiful bread from uh, across the street. Uh-huh. <laughs> What's that so you are going to stay in What's country. What's that bakery again? again. <laughs> Dahlia Bakery. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and that's it. I'm not a big, uh, I don't do too many fancy things. I might have some bacon just because I have some in the, in the freezer. That's not very in country. It's no? hard to find bacon fumé. Oh, no, no. It would be nice to have lardon, and that would be a nice lardon. Yeah, it would exactly. be a, la- a nicer thing. But no, 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 no. I, I would argue that it's not nicer. It's nicer to it's eat. It's typical French. Yeah, but it's nicer to eat. No, it's not. Oh, see. Si. Oh no. Oh, but stop fighting. Anyway. Oh my God! Uh, How can you even say that? No, I think a little breakfast and coffee. I mean, seven o'clock in the morning is a, uh, like I said. It's not going to be a big giant spread. First of all, I'm not that enthusiastic so, in the morning. Am I, if I come to your house to watch the game, right? Uh, I make you an omelet. You make me an omelet. Sure. 
Will you cook it? Because I know you like your omelets a little bit no, rare. No, I, I will definitely make it the American way. Okay, you yeah. will cook it. I learned both ways. Yeah. If I wanted to eat my breakfast with a straw, I would go to McDonald's. Right. Yeah. That's how soupy his omelets are. I like runny eggs. Yes, he does. <laughs> so good. He likes chasing them. Yes. <laughs> I like to know they're still alive. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, my eggs are from Alice Wong Farm, which is a, a dear friend um, all the way in Darrington, who just came this week. We had lunch together, and she brought me some gorgeous farm eggs. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Boy, that might be worth getting up for. I know. Yeah. Those are beautiful. All right. So what's your taste of the week? The Lake House in Bellevue, Kathy's birthday was uh, this oh. week, and uh, we wanted something different. She wanted to no, no, maybe something different. So we went on the east side, which it's not, as you know, it's not customary to go to the east side for us because we have so much going on here. But I want no, to... I have some restaurants here in downtown Seattle. Just yes, exactly. We love Kathy. We've been to your restaurant so many times. <laughs> I feel old by knowing how many times I've been to your restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> no, anyway, we went to the Lake House in Bellevue, and uh, Jason Wilson over there doing a fantastic job. And uh, that's on the second floor in the West End. Down below, they have a place called Civil and Rest. I believe that's the name of it. It's the name of the bar, right? Bar. It it's used a to bar. be the Twisted Cork, I think. Yeah, and it's really cool. They do um, it's a beautiful cocktail. Uh, if you ask the bartender to get creative and do whatever he wants with your favorite liquor, they really do pull out all the stops and do some very creative cocktails, and I recommend. So what we did is we went downstairs for a cocktail beforehand, and then some oysters on a half shell, and then went upstairs and had a wonderful dinner. One of the highlights was my salad. We had a salad that was really, really beautiful. Fresh, crispy, well-seasoned, nothing but roasted vegetable and uh, some fresh greens, watercress, uh, endive, you know, things that are very wintry and very seasonal, and everything was fantastic. And to me, having a beautiful salad in a restaurant is always a beautiful high mark mm. because many restaurants don't make very good salad. That's All right, happy, happy birthday to Kathy then. Uh, yes. Yes. Happy 39 again. You married an older woman too, didn't? Just like I did, I think. <clears throat> She's just, uh, she has a few more years on me, yes. Oh, okay. You know, our producer is older than us too. I don't know if you know that or not. But <laughs> she looks so Bringing young. The wisdom. But they both it's look so young. We, Jeez. Something that we admire about her. Yeah. Yes. I, we have a term in France that, um, oh, <laughs> no. okay, I'm going to say it anyway. No, no. <laughs> you know the term already? No? We have a term in France. It's called, it's in the old part, you make the best soup. Because it's already seasoned. And I knew that wasn't going to go very well oh, for the ladies. It's in the old pot. But, you you know, it's, it's a good term. You know, you take okay. an old pot. It's seasoned already. You know, you, Merry you Christmas to you, Pamela. You old pot. Come you. on, listen to this. You know how much someone... Oh, I, I can't believe you even said it. Uh, my taste of the week is uh, last night, we were, I was cooking for my Christmas boys' lunch today. And so at the same time, when I cook at home... I like to get out of the projects done like beef stock. Oh, yeah. Chicken stock. Yeah. You know, just thick, viscous, really intense stocks yeah. for the freezer. The, the beef stocks, uh, you know, cooked all night. Woke up this morning. Mm. The whole house. I keep saying I'm going to go by see the butcher and buy 20 pounds of Villebonne. I just did it yesterday, as a matter of fact. All right, when we come back, it's time to cook some shrimp on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. In the daytime, I'm Mr. Natural, just as healthy as I can be. But at night, I'm a junk food junk. Good Lord, have pity on me. Have you ever seen a prong? Cause the world's bored. Have you ever kissed a prong? Got a cold sore. Have you ever seen a prong? Kiss cough. Have you ever seen a prong in a pair of pink cups? 
All right, we're back. It's the Hot Stove Kitchen. You know when you walk through the seafood counter and you go in and you're looking for some wild thing and then you walk across. It's, isn't it always hard to just walk by the wild prawns? Oh, yeah. Don't do and it. And not buying buy them. Don't, do, don't walk by it. Buy them. Yeah. You know the only thing that I, I don't... The only thing is when I look at the shrimp uh-huh. uh, case, the only thing that stops me... Is where are they coming from? Yeah, you have to think about that. First thing I ask is where is this from? How is it done? You know, and because I'm very conscientious of that, I mean, as you are, you know, it's like I just want to make sure that I'm not buying something from a place where they don't care about how to do it. Yeah, and they're ruining this, the uh, the environment, mangroves, and, and things like and, that. Absolutely, and the whole so country. Wild, uh, wild Gulf of Mexico prawns generally uh, are a good option. But uh, Monterey Bay Aquarium's Safe Seafood Watch is a good and, place and to spot prawn. If you can put your hands on Sam, yeah, local spot prawn. Local spot prawn. Yeah. I mean, that is double whammy on that one. You know, my wife loves those. We go to the sushi bars, and some of the sushi bars actually have aquariums where right. they live. keep the live spot prawns on the counter. When you kill a spot prawn or when you catch it, you have to kill it right away right. or keep it alive. Right. Uh, and so um, at the sushi bar, they generally, they'll take the head off and they'll give you the raw uh, ebby or Still prawn, moving. right? And um, yeah, it is, it is uh, that's the movement to it. Uh, but then they take the heads and they deep fry them. That's my wife's favorite on a prawn. Oh, so good. The, the deep fried uh, shrimp heads. Certainly local spot prawns, but wild Gulf of Mexico prawns are a really sure. good option. Now, you, now you're there. Now you have a choice, right? Uh, prawns are sold in different sizes. Uh, typically, they could go anywhere from like the little bay shrimp are like 150 to a pound or right. something like or that, 200 more, to yeah. a pound. And then they go all the way up to, you'll see them size. And I always buy the ones kind of in that 16 to 20. Right. And they're called 1620s, right? Which means that there's on average 18 to a pound. Right. And that's how you kind of figure out how many prawns to buy. So what are you going to do with them? They're there. I like to buy them shell on. Well, there is, there is one thing I always said is uh, if you're single... Uh, and you don't have a big kitchen, you should always have some shrimp in the freezer, a can of tomato, whole tomato in the cupboard, some pasta, and the day of you buy some fresh garlic and some basil. And the day of what? When you're not single of, anymore? The day, of, <laughs> the day of you have somebody coming over. Oh. And uh, don't forget that bottle of champagne in the fridge too because... So you're saying you can't, you can't lose with a shrimp You can't shrimp lose pasta. with shrimp, garlic, basil... Tomato, tomato and pasta and champagne. I mean, and champagne, of course. Okay, and so uh, so you just quick sear the prawns. You quick, gotta you gotta oh, get your water going ahead of time because correct. it takes much longer to cook the pasta. I would cook the pasta than it first. Does the shrimp correct? Yeah. The shrimp is only a matter of a few minutes. So, you know, I would boil the water. As soon as you put the pasta in, your pan is hot. You sear your spot prawn. I would remove the spot prawn right off the bat as soon as they're seared because they cook really fast and they're gonna keep cooking later on. And you'll see that. Put them on the side. Take your garlic, a little bit of olive oil. Fry your garlic gently and then add your tomato, diced. Put it in there. Put a little bit of the tomato juice that you have in the can. A dash of white wine. I like to add a little white wine to that. Cook it. It's going to cook very fast, very quickly. Reduce it down. Put your shrimp back in, your chopped basil. Put that pasta right mix into it after it's drained with a little bit of that water. Put the whole thing together, let it cook a little bit in that, in that uh, juice just so the pasta gets imbibed with that. 
put the whole thing in the bowl, grate some beautiful parmesan right on top of that. And if she leaves, I don't know what else to do. Yeah. <laughs> if he leaves, if he leaves, he don't know nothing. There's a couple of things you've done there which I find fascinating. Now, knowing you for thirty some years now, one is that you just cooked an Italian dish. I'm sorry. This is a no. This wood is not. Dish. This is an Italian dish. So there's that. Uh, and no, then you also put. Italians don't do then there's also wrong. something that you've always chastised me about, which is putting cheese with seafood. I well, know that was a so surprise. it's like. Uh, I feel... Hold on, I, hold on. No, 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 no. There's no holding. You've exposed yourself, both in your disdain for Pamela as an old pot and in your love for Italian cooking, which you've always denied. This is a story of... This is a story of won't want the other person to leave. The cheese is kind of like... It's an American thing to put cheese on things at the end of a... You know, so okay. I want to bet on the sure thing. I will give all the assets on my side. I will grate the cheese on top of it. Okay, there we go. There's your, 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 you'll compromise on a date. I will compromise, absolutely. Okay. All right, so when I'm looking at the shrimp in the marketplace. <laughs> I'll even put ground paper everywhere. <laughs> when I'm looking at the shrimp in the case. Yeah. Uh, so you'll have a lot of choices. You can see the Argentine red shrimp. You sure. can see the Ecuador shrimp, which is a little bit like the wild Mexican prawns. or the green right. shrimp. It's the black tigers that I have to avoid because of the way they're farmed right. in Indonesia and Vietnam and Correct. Thailand and things like that. Uh, so now I've bought my shrimp shell on, shell off. I tend to like to, I try to buy them shell on. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so I've got my whole shrimp. What do I do from there? Now, a lot of people think that little, I'm going to butterfly them. So if you put, you know, all the little, the, what we call the feet or the little fins on the right, bottom, right, right. that's the belly of the shrimp, Correct. right? On the back side where it's arched, right. where there's nothing but shell, that's the back side of the shrimp. So I want to put the shrimp on my counter, slice it down through the back side of the shrimp. Sure. And then, as people always tell me in my classes here at the Hot Stove, what do you do with the vein? It's called the vein. It's yes. called the vein. It's an American well, it's thing. It's preferable to take it out. <laughs> well, it's not a vein. It's, it's the a poop, poop shoot. Line. It's the poop shoot, right? It's the poop line. Right. And so when you, that, that dark line that you see in there is the poop shoot. And what's important about taking that out? Well, you probably won't get any sickness of any kind if you don't. If you keep it in, you might get sick. No, uh, I don't think you'll get sick. Well, it depends. I'm going to cut to the chase. The important part about that is shrimp are bottom feeders. So right. in that poop chute is often a bunch of sand. Right. And so if you leave that in, you might get a sandy bite in your, in your shrimp. Yes. Because once you boil them and cook them, you're not going to get sick. True. That. Once you cook them, no. Yeah. So get that out of there, and now you've got a prepped prawn. Okay. Shell on butterfly. Shell on butterfly. I'm making some today for the, uh, the Christmas boys' lunch, which is an annual tradition for myself and a bunch of, bunch of guys. There's 10 of us. But I'm using my new taco spice. I'm going to rub the shrimp. Right. And then I'm going to saute them in tons of butter in the, in the wood oven. I'm roast them in tons of butter in the wood oven with the taco spice, which is very citrusy, mild yeah. chili, yeah, no, it's tons totally of cool. butter, and whole limes. And then we're going to pull them out. And then the important part about that is, like when you do a barbecue shrimp, is that you have to leave the shell on, pick up the shrimp, leave the shell on, and suck all the juice off. That's right. Right? I mean, just put the whole thing in your mouth and suck it clean. Right? Then you pull it out, you take the shell off, and then you redouble dip into the butter. Mm. And then you finish the shrimp. Right? You can't do yeah. one without the other, or you're inhumane. Right. And if you don't, <laughs> and if you don't want to saute them, you could actually put them on a sheet pan the butter in each one of them no, no, no. and brush it right nicely on top and bake it 
under the broiler. That's yes, why, you could. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, I didn't tell you how to cook your shrimp other than point out the obvious yes. challenges to your reputation of cooking Italian and putting cheese with pasta. Obviously, my reputation Don't tell me how to cook my, is my done the toilet. Spice. Yes, exactly. Okay, it's time for the secret crunch factor, which I refuse to say here on the air because we are an upstanding show. Uh, when we come back, find out what that is. Bring in the crunch on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. I should live to be 90. I will never forget the little shrimp and the song he sang as he jumped into the mess. Cheetos and Takis, boy, you better eat your broccoli flakes. Food is kind of like putting poison in your brain. No more people at the club. In the hot stove kitchen. We're going to talk about some crunch. And I have to have our producer kind of introduce this segment because much to my amazement, considering her veggie background, her veggie forward nature, her love of a rainbow platter... Uh, a rainbow of vegetables on every dinner, on every plate. She has a secret, and I'm not sure I want to be the one to expose it because it's a lifelong issue. So, Pamela, why are we? Let's talk about bringing the crunch, and how do you do it in your life? <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a confluence of two subjects mm-hmm. colliding this week. You know, I look at the food. I love news. when you use those big words. <laughs> uh, multiple food news sources and uh, food and wine caught my attention this week because they had a big segment on the Cheetos dust maker, a Cheetos grinder. They did a partnership with Amazon. So it was a, se- a whole series of recipes of how to turn your Cheetos into dust to make coatings, crunchy coatings for food which I was thinking about because I was trying to write up the chicken class that you were doing, and it said wet southern chicken, and I'm like, who wants wet chicken? So I was looking up (laughs) what the heck that could be. I mean, I love the interpretation of that. (laughs) and And I went down the rabbit hole of how you marinate the chicken and then put your batter on it, your crunch, and then you need to chill it. And I, so I was thinking. I'm still waiting for the trans, transition. I'm trying to, to find here. where the. Uh, so I, I was thinking. I was thinking about all the ways that you can make crunch. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, like, if I don't have something with some real tooth on it, my husband's like, "What? Well, what's for dinner?" You know. Yeah. So it's got to have some nuts or some crispiness or some croutons. Or some sort of batter to you bring You just named crunch. all the things that you can grind and make crunchy with. <laughs> what was the problem with that? <laughs> so, uh, first, uh, I want to know what you think about the Cheeto grinder. Are you going to buy one? And then second... Um, I've already said they're sold out, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. Second, what are your recommendations for uh, crispy coatings and batters? So, let's back up for one second. Why did the wet chicken grow job? Because it sounds terrible? Yeah. It's what just, is it? Well, it's just a, uh, it's a batter fried chicken instead of a dredged, floured chicken. So you know how a lot of times when you make fried chicken, you dip it, you marinate in buttermilk, and then you dip it in like a flour mixture. I usually use masa harina, AP flour, you know, maybe a little uh, cornmeal, fine cornmeal, something like that. And that's a dry dredge. And that creates a crust. So a wet chicken, fried chicken, is... Literally the same kind of maybe marinade on the chicken, but then it's dipped in a batter and fried. 
You've heard of beer batters before. Yeah, no, Similar that's the word I was looking for to write it up for the website. <laughs> oh, you didn't like the wet chicken? Yeah, I wasn't going to put wet chicken on the. Oh, people. <laughs> Does pe- anybody know what wet chicken is? Oh, but it's intriguing. So you want to come to class? <laughs> Either that, or you go. I'm going to wait till they dry it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's all that is. So okay, uh, that clears so the one fact thing that up. you got from my delicious sounding chicken class to a to Cheeto, Cheeto grinder. grinder. Yeah, I mean, I it's think really sad because for me. they were doing chicken. What, with what a, happened to my old friend? They were doing chi- a, a spicy chicken with the Cheeto dust. Well, if the only thing you have left in your kitchen to grind is Cheeto, I'm coming, <laughs> yeah, to, I'm coming to your yeah. home and really, we're going to start with ABCs of what you should have in your pantry. Yeah, we have bigger problems. Uh, okay, chef, let's drop that and let's, let's teach her a new, give her a new opportunity for crunchiness in her, in her yes, dinner. Well, I mean, the first thing is, then I can think of being French, is of course bread. You know, you get, you get a, a baguette or you get some old bread. It doesn't have to be old. It can be fresh, too. Yeah, let's not do old bread. Well, you can have bread in the freezer, for example. That's not old, so but frozen. that's just stored away. Yeah. And you can use that opportunity to take it out and, you know, roast it and uh, give it a nice crunch, dry it up, and then chop it down to a very fine dust and use that as a, as a crunch. So what do the French make crispy? I'm thinking, like... Chicken cordon bleu or something like that. What are, right. You don't see very like much breaded, crunchy stuff in veal, French. Veal scallopini gets breaded. Okay. We do uh, chicken can get uh, chicken breast can get mm-hmm. uh, breaded. We we have different butter. We have anglaise, which is traditional eggs, milk, and uh, bread, uh, bread crumb. I mean, mm-hmm. and you also have um, you know just bread crumb or. You know, things, things I'm just saying, you, when I go to France, you rarely see anything no, like no, that no, in a menu. We, we Whereas in Italy, you see veal milanese, right, right. You know, all that, Austria, same well, thing. Well, strange, strangely enough, in France, the uh, veal scalopini I was telling you about is veal milanese. Oh, is it? And then, and then <laughs> veal viennoise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So they're both from. So it's just countries. not a natural French thing. It's not dish. a natural thing yeah. to uh, bread and to deep fry in terms of uh, meat itself. It's not very, we don't have like fried chicken. It's, I mean, now we do, but it wasn't a traditional dish. We reserved that for the Brits, and because we mocked them so hardly for so many years, I think we just were ashamed to do the same thing, even mm-hmm. though fried chicken can be delicious. Yeah. In, in my kitchen for crispiness in cooking, uh, I can't think of anything outside of the, the schnitzel or something like that. I love right. a good schnitzel, but uh, typically in the growing up days, Tuna noodle casserole always had potato chips on top, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then um, you saw a lot of things with cornflakes, yeah. which is oh. not unlike what Cheetos are. Cheetos are a corn process, right? Uh, but they've added uh, dried cheese powder to it and many colorful chemicals, which is why your hair is the color it is, because you eat a lot of Cheetos. Um, <laughs> but... It's the same idea with cornflakes. You can grind them up and make a crust uh, from the, the, the and you cereal can use, that it is. Like if you have dry biscuits, uh, I mean dry uh, crackers, you can also take those and grind them. The saltines or... Yeah, yeah. or beaches, beaches crackers. That would be an expensive breadcrumb. But so, so the French thing that I can think of that is crispy are, are uh, croquettes. Yeah, croquettes and gratin. And, you know, that's where we use gratin. breadcrumb. We use breadcrumb on gratin, oh, like parmentier and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you put cheese in the middle and... How do you make a croquette? Croquette is a pomme duchesse. It's kind of like a pomme duchesse. So it's mashed potato, 
eggs added together. So a traditional filling before you do all that or just no, the potatoes? just the potato. And then you roll them in uh, flour, eggs, and breadcrumb. Uh-huh. And then you fry it. And uh, when I was Nothing appra- like deep fried mashed potatoes. When I was, when I was an apprentice, that was my job every Sunday morning to make a whole bunch of it. And then you put them in the freezer? No. You were working on a coal-fired stove. How, uh, oh, no, we were working on a coal stove. So I said a coal-fired stove. Yeah, coal yeah. fire, yeah. No, that was really cool, but uh, we had the deep fryer. Hmm. And I never forget the day that the other apprentice threw water on it. On it the was deep a, fryer? Yeah, because it was fire coming out of the fryer. Uh-huh. And I just went, Dangerous. Oh! And he just... Did it burn you? Oh, the thing went up 10 feet in the air. Yeah. No, it didn't burn me, but I was far enough. But yeah, you don't to want say, to put water on a hot grease fire. The so last thing you want to do is throw water on a grease fire. The best thing you can do is try to run away, get rid of the oxygen. <laughs> so put something on top of it to cover it completely, or throw in a bunch of flour on it, which will soak up the first grease. Flour, that's on top baking the flour. soda. There's yeah. a few things you can put on top. Yeah. Let's okay. turn to vegetables but, and uh, crispy coating. If you were going to roast them. I've seen people rely on cheese a lot, like a, a Parmesan crust. Uh-huh. I'm not sure that I would consider that a coating rather than an accent. Ah. Uh, or, you know, they make those really delicious. You can see them at the marketplaces on the deli counters. Are the You take a cookie sheet and you put grated Asiago or you yeah. put grated Parm and you make your own crisp Right. Out of those, I could right. see garnishing roasted vegetables with a crumble of crumble those of, the crisp. of those baked cheese crisp. Well, I think would be pretty darn tasty. But keep the Doritos out of the kitchen, <laughs> <laughs> for Christ's sake! No, no, chef, they're Cheetos. Oh, I'm sorry, Cheetos. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, same section as far as I'm concerned. The section I never go shopping in. And what, can we finish with a nut crust? I would yeah. if, I, if I would make a crust. Hazelnut is a beautiful, beautiful. Um, flavor to me. I, it's a flavor I really like, especially if you add some chopped parsley, a little bit of olive oil, and put that on top of... Uh, what are you breading? I'm sorry? What are you breading with them? I could yeah. be breading anything. Fish, chicken? She was talking about vegetables, and what I can think about is parsnip, shaves parsnip, then you put onto a, a pan, salt, pepper, a little bit of butter, because you must, and then uh, put that shaving, that... that uh, Topping on top of that and put the whole thing in the oven. 20 minutes, you get some beautiful um, baked parsnip. And it's really delicious. I'm going to make that and report back. Yeah, you like the nut crust. They're a I little do. heavy for uh, me. I, oh, I, if, the, if that doesn't beat your Cheetos, I don't know what will. <laughs> <laughs> Hazelnuts for the win. I cannot believe our and By producer. the way, I'm sure you already have a, gra- a grater in your house that will work with the Cheetos. <laughs> All right, next up, we're going to welcome the king of espresso. Kent Bakke is going to join us here in the Hot Stove Kitchen on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. I like cheese. I like cheese. I like, I like cheese. I like cheese. Cheese. I like cheese. I like cheese. I like, I like cheese. I like cheese. I like cheese. I like cheese. I like, I like cheese. I like cheese. Cheese. I like cheese. I like cheese. I like, I like cheese. Way down among Brazilians, coffee beans grow by the billions, so they've got to find those extra cups to fill. They've got an awful lot of coffee in Brazil. You can't. You know, we're loving here the uh, hot stove kitchen. The energy in the room is awesome. Thank you so much for being here. If you want to join this fabulous crowd, well, not this crowd, but if you want to be part of the fabulous crowd, 
be part of the cool people and come see the old pot run the show, uh, you, can, uh, you can join us. Go to hotstovesociety.com and buy a ticket. You cheapskate. Buy a ticket. 25 bucks. Get your breakfast. Get your coffee. Get us. Glass of water. Get us. And get you the chef and the chapeau all dolled up and in Tom blue scarf because la, la France. Vive la France. Vive la France. Is Allez a, les bleus. You know, this week, at uh, this time next week, we will know the outcome. Yeah, we'll be partying all week. You'll be partying all week? Okay. I hope Reg- so. Regardless. Regardless. <laughs> all right. Uh, we've let uh, a wild animal in the room. His name is Kent Backy. Backy. Do you like Baki or Backy? <laughs> Uh, well, in California, when I grew up, it was Baki, and uh, here it's Baki. But you can, Tom, you can call me whatever ba- you want. Baki sounds so much more European. <laughs> uh, welcome to the show. We are longtime acquaintances and friends, and uh, you are um, the mystery man behind Espresso in Seattle, I would say. Not by your own doing. It's just that Starbucks kind of took over the oxygen in the room so to speak when it comes to espresso around our country and but you are instrumental in making that happen so can you tell us a little bit about who you are how you got started in the espresso world and how it ended up in ballard for god's sake who who knew uh that an italian company would end up in ballard well uh first of all thank you tom and terry for inviting me to this uh, fabulous event Tom and I go way back. I was just trying to remember how long it's been since we met. But, uh, Probably older than God. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> well, I was born in Wisconsin to a nice uh, Scandinavian family. and it, Oh, espresso makes perfect sense then. Yeah, of course. <laughs> my, my parents were a great the coffee drinker. that goes with it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my parents drank a lot of coffee. Supposedly, my mom tells me that when I was uh, very small, people would come over for pie and coffee, and I would finish whatever was left in the cup of coffee. It was probably mostly cream, Mm -hmm. but uh, grew up in California, came up to Seattle to go to Seattle Pacific College in 1970, graduated in 74, did some odd jobs, and ended up at a place called the Turbulent Turtle. Do you remember the Turbulent Turtle? I don't. I remember the Allegro over in the University uh, Bookstore Park lot. Right. Well, the Turbulent Turtle was a hamburger stand, a gourmet hamburger stand before its time. Gourmet. And out on Shilshol. It was just ah. a takeout stand. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And uh, anyway, working there and uh, they had, uh, the owners had two daughters that I became friends with. And uh, one, of the, one of the sets of uh, daughters and husband, we thought we were smarter than these old people. And so we were going to open our own place and we ended up acquiring a uh, defunct soup and sandwich shop in Pioneer Square that was originally, this was in 76, had, uh, it was called the Pioneer Trading Company restaurant, and it had an espresso machine in it. And I'd never seen an espresso machine, or if I had, I didn't know what it was. But I thought it looked like the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And I, I, was, I was not a coffee drinker at the time, but I liked mechanical things. And so I kind of started to tinker around with it to keep it going and... Um, Anyway, uh, the first partnership, uh, we went our separate waves, and then uh, a man and woman, Asa Braun and Barbara Duma, and Barbara was a chef in town, and uh, we got together and opened this place, or continued to run the place, and at one point, we were going around Seattle, and I was pretending to be an espresso machine technician. (laughs) 
Not a lot of competition to tell me that people so, to tell only, me. Only three machines and no competition. <laughs> there was there was maybe only eight machines in town at oh, the time. I was close. I was wow, close. Wow, wow. And uh, I knew nothing about it, but I knew, well, I knew a little more than nothing, but not enough to have any competition. So anyway, at some point, uh, Asa said, well, if you can work on them, we should go to Italy. And this was 78. Like, you know, far out, man. Let's go to Italy. Let's <laughs> By the way, we did stop in Paris, and we went to Sanglier Bleu. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and why they let us in, I'll never know, other than they were dumbfounded that we would even try to get in. But that's another story. So I went to Italy in 78 and met uh, La Marzocco and another company called CMA and mm-hmm. came back to, to Seattle with uh, the opportunity to sell machines. And I always say it only took a year to sell the first machine. And at that point, I thought, well, we sold something. We must be in business. And <laughs> so that was the start. Wow. And at the same time, you know, we could have crossed paths because at the same time, uh, I was now uh, in 1980 or 79 stopping at the Good Coffee Company on my way to work on Bainbridge Island and bringing the coffee over with me on the ferry from the Good Coffee Company, which was just north of Pioneer Square. I wouldn't really call it Pioneer Square, but uh, on Post Alley there. You, you went in there, yes. I'm sure. We used, I used to buy coffee from him when we had Hibble. Uh, the, we renamed the soup and sandwich shop in Pioneer Square to Hibble and Hides. Uh-huh. I forgot to include that part. Oh, even harder so, than before. Yeah, actually, Joe Cote was already had a Lamarzocco in his place, so I kind of usurped the uh, importation of that. But he's a... Unsung hero, I want to of the coffee scene. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. I think so. Um, that was a, what a crazy little shop that was in down there. Uh, okay, so now you've got Hibble and Hyde, and you are you have the license to sell these La Marzocco machines. Which, by the way, in, in case you're an espresso drinker, a coffee drinker, and you don't really look around, if you go into eighty percent of the espresso shops here, and certainly you could tell us even more about the world now. Other uh, La Marzocco machines. You started the craze. Well, you know, it was the late 70s, and there was a lot of things. You know how one good idea seeds not only one person, but... I mean, for the food scene, you know, Seattle was starting to wake up, and food in America, I think, was starting to wake up. So there was a lot of movement. People having gone to Europe, had some good food, good coffee, coming back, looking for something to do. So... I think it was a collective effort, and I, we certainly weren't the first people to import express machines in the United States. Actually, at the same time, there were two other importers starting up in Seattle. One was Starbucks. They started importing machines, or they were purchasing machine from another importer, but they were we were competitors. And then there was another company that was uh, selling Chimbley machines. I don't remember the name, but uh, it was kind of weird that we all started you know within a year of each other, but... Mm-hmm. That's how those things happen. And so you bought this La Marzocco out of Italy. You brought them to Ballard? You brought the company to Ballard? Uh, let's see. I think we were working out of our basement uh, up in northern Ballard, up in Loyal Heights. Uh-huh. But anyway. So uh, I had this, had this cafe, and we'd open another restaurant. And as much as I love the restaurant business, I was not good at it. So I admire anybody that's been successful. I say that sincerely. But I, but I really like the machine side of thing. And so uh, we sold uh, Hibble and Hides. And I thought and the, my, that partnership kind of dispersed and I was on my own. And so I decided I'd try this out for six months. And uh, here we are. Yeah, here we are. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about finding uh, a spot and creating a coffee museum 
right here and in the And how one can buy one for home? Are you going to buy one? Sell one I, today. I know. I'm, I'm trying to. All right. When we come back, it's Kent Baki uh, from La Marzocco Espresso on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Coffee, 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 coffee. Coffee every moment of my life. Coffee to wake me up each morning. Coffee to put me to bed each I would like to drink a cup of coffee. Yes, coffee is the thing I'd like to drink. Don't talk to me until I've had my coffee. If you talk to me, then in response I'll see. All right, here we are. It's the Hot Stove Society Kitchen on Cairo Radio. Everyone's eating breakfast. Hopefully they don't take a nap. We're going to continue our conversation with Kent Baki. We have a long hour. Marzocco Espresso. Kent, you have a dream. Tell us about your dream. I had a dream uh, of opening a espresso machine museum. Mm -hmm. I didn't know I was starting to collect, but uh, one of my second or third trips to Italy... I happened to find an old La Marzocco, and I gave it to the factory, the La Marzocco factory, because they had not nothing of their history. Mm-hmm. And then every so often you'd see something interesting, and, oh, well, that's kind of cool. And at some point, probably 10 years later, I go, oh, I sort of have a collection. Maybe someday I can open a museum. It was a long uh, journey, but... Uh, about five years ago, I bought a building in Ballard because it was available, mm-hmm. um, which is how it got to be in Ballard. Plus, our, our, the La Marzocco USA office is in Ballard, and uh, there's a lot of uh, strong connection to coffee and Scandinavians in Ballard, less so than used to be. But And originally, it was just to store stuff. I thought I would get a bigger building, but as the price of real estate has gone up in Seattle, it became less and less of a possibility. So we remodeled the building, and... Um, I have my collection stored there as well as a small space for a museum. And so it hasn't officially launched, but it's open by appointment. But we don't have a website. There's no way to make an appointment. (laughs) But uh, we're happy. We would be happy to host anyone who wants to come I'm sorry to understand why it took you a year to sell the first machine. Yeah. (laughs) So do you just knock on the door and hope for the best? It was the 70s. I mean, like, you know, oh, I'll get up in the morning. Let's see. What am I doing today? Like, uh, like maybe I'll go back to sleep. (laughs) Yeah. 50 years later, you're singing the same song. (laughs) You don't have a website or doorbell to ring. If you want to come by, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> Old habits die hard. No, of course. What's I think the it's name beautiful. of it? Are you naming the museum? Uh, it's the Bach, Bakke Coffee Collection, or yeah. Coffee Museum. And it's not because I'm an uh, egoist, but my parents, sure introdu- sounds like it. my parents introduced me to coffee, and it's a part of the strong Scandinavian the culture to drink coffee. And our the Bakke name is dying out because I don't have any... There's none of our heirs have our last name, so I thought, let's preserve a little something for the mm-hmm. family. Good for you. And I um, did I hear that some of your electric vehicles are in the museum as well? Since you were an early adapter, I think the first person <laughs> to have an electric car in Seattle. Almost, maybe. Yeah, electric cars are one of my hobbies, but I had to get another space because there wasn't room for both things in, in the building, so... Uh, We've, we've moved that out of the museum 
But it, this is how you find it. If you're driving through Ballard, look for a beautiful little building, brick building, and it has three Teslas in a Rivian parked out front. <laughs> you say, oh, that must be a coffee museum. <laughs> you go, must be a Tesla museum. <laughs> Incognito. Yeah. So that's how you find it. That's, it's, you'll, you will, we'll have to make an adventure out there. So. I, I'd love to. Um, but uh, can we talk for a moment about the effect of the machine on a barista how much of a great espresso is the result of the machine versus the touch of a barista because i encounter wildly differing results what's the most important factor the person or the machine the, the italians say they call it the four m's so I'll machina it. yeah uh, machina mano michela and there's a, a fourth one. <laughs> so anyway, the machine, the the hand of the barista, the blend, and uh, it should be the Madonna. The, it's got to be the Madonna. The water. The water. <laughs> the water. <laughs> got to have a spiritual And water is very important too. But, yeah. So um, all those things are are pretty critical. The uh, grinder often gets overlooked, but the grinder, in terms of the machinery is as equally important, if not more so, than the espresso machine. You know, that's been a big part of your teaching, is the grinder. And, uh, of course, you can't make espresso without coffee, so that's a pretty critical appointment, mm-hmm. uh, component. And the, the barista, the person behind it, and their intention and, and their knowledge and their desire. So, so would you say an espresso machine is like anything else that's mechanical? It takes a few trials to get the real relationship between between the man and the machine or the woman and the machine kind of idea where you have to use it a few times to really understand and that's when the barista comes in as far as like the relationship that makes the perfect coffee eventually? Uh, yes, I would agree with that. I mean, I'm not a chef, but I mean, obviously a knife is a pretty important thing. You can use a dull knife, but a sharp knife, a good blade, and the right balance is certainly critical as well as the cooking surface. Mm-hmm. Ideally, the barista will develop a relationship with the machine and understanding how it works in terms of in, in, its, in the barista's hands, along with the grinder. Right. And then coffee is unique in that it changes all the time. Right. Uh, espresso machines have become much more mechanical these days. You can press a button and get yourself a latte at some cafeteria, corporate office. Where do you live in the world of automation when it comes to espresso machines? If, if you're buying one, say, at Sur La Table or Williams-Sonoma or something like that for your home, where do you... Or La Marzocco. Or, or La Marzocco has a home <laughs> model, too. Uh, that's, a, that's a price commitment of, what, five grand or something like that, right? At least, yes. At least, yeah. Uh, so where do you stand on automation and a great cup of coffee? Early on in my career, I was very interested in some of the early automated machines. And so I've kind of followed that segment along. And for home, for people who aren't a barista or have the training or the time and the patience, uh, you know, whatever works best for the individual is, is the most important. Uh, it takes some dedication to learn even a good home machine. It still takes some dedication on the part of 
the the person at home. So pushing a button and getting at least a fresh cup of coffee is not a bad thing. You're, I agree. You're a generous soul. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm practical. So, Kent, if somebody wants to look at your machines online, just lamarzoco.com? Yeah, I think it's home. Yes, you can just go to lamarzoco.com, and then if you're in the U.S., you, I think it's home.lamarzocousa.com. Yeah, it's, it's exhilarating to look at and dream about having one of those in your kitchen. It's like... It's like, oh, God. That would look so good on my counter. That's what I would do. Okay. Thank you, Kent Bach, for joining us. Uh, thank, thank you. you. Uh, good thank luck you very much. On the music. Yeah, exactly. Brittany Bartolet, with an old pal of the show, is going to join us next on Cairo. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. All right, we got a lot of excitement happening here at the hot stove today. It's adventures. Uh, we have classes coming in. We're here doing our show. The audience is uh, a buzz after their breakfast, and uh, maybe it's also because Miss Brittany Bartlevin has is in the house. That's in right. In the house. Hello. In the house. Brittany's here. If you'll, uh, you might remember her voice from this show many times. She's been on when she was. Uh, head pastry chef at the Dahlia Bakery. She has left us because apparently we suck. Um, she's left us to go That's to hotcakes. That's only cakes. half of it. <laughs> That's half of it. She's at hotcakes now, uh, which is, uh, your main kitchen is in Ballard, right? The uh, we have two kitchens. Neither of them are the main kitchen. They're oh, each okay. their own entity. So uh, we've got Capitol Hill and Ballard and a third location opening sometime in 2023 Good. Uh, in Soto, in Soto Urban Works. So okay. that's going to be, that was going to be just our production facility. Uh, and it's turned out to be a super cool location. So we're going to do a oh. third shop there as well. Nice. So, cool. Surrounded by wineries. What more could you want? I don't well, know if no. you know this or not, but I was one of the original investors. I did in know that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they have since sold. I don't know who the no, new Kevin owner. and Karamia purchased the business in November of 2020. Autumn um, had built this amazing company and brand, but then she had a baby and yeah. she this, this brand was ready to launch. Um, and she was... Also started up Frankie and Joe's, the plant-based ice cream company here in mm. Seattle, and uh, wanted to focus her efforts on that shop and her new family, and uh-huh. was looking for some uh, some owners who were going to, um, you know, keep the spirit of the business alive, uh, but be willing to grow it. So right. that's right. where Kevin and Kara entered in, and they... Uh, had years in e-commerce and um, they're just really great business minds and super fun to work for. So, Good. yeah. All right. Tell us about what you brought today and where. Uh... I brought one of each of our line of sauces that we carry. Uh, these sauces are all available with desserts in the shops, but mm-hmm. also available nationwide in uh, specialty shops, grocery stores. Uh, we've got our our classic, which is the Pacific Sea Salt Caramel Sauce. That's this one. Mm-hmm. Our uh, caramel sauces are made the old school method in a dry burned in a big copper kettle. Um, so it's a much darker, richer caramel sauce, a little smokier. Um, we also have a vegan version that we make with coconut milk, which is actually quite delicious. Really smooth. Love this one. This is our dark chocolate sauce, which is just organic cocoa butter, excuse me, organic cocoa powder, water, organic cane sugar, salt, and vanilla. 
So small ingredient list, really good clean ingredients, but it's a really, really great product. Makes the best hot cocoa <laughs> no, you've ever no had. No dairy. No dairy. You just stir it in the hot milk? No dairy? Oh, for, uh, yeah. yeah stir it in steamed cocoa. milk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really delicious. Great on ice cream, obviously. Uh, and then this one's my favorite. This is our rye whiskey caramel that we mm-hmm. make with old Overholt rye whiskey. The shop just steams up with this wonderful boozy smell when that's being cooked so one for the chef one, one for the pot exactly <laughs> well, well this is the time you, oh i'm sorry Pamela. no i think the interaction of the rye whiskey and chocolate is probably oh yeah the two aged. together yeah. is really delicious mm-hmm. so uh, i know you want to sell sauces of course but sure. also this is the time of year for people to be making desserts at home yeah so can you talk people at home how to make their own caramel sauce and maybe then flavor it with other things? Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, I don't recommend a novice try the dry burned method. Um, at home, I would say do the wet method and that's just where you're going to take your sugar, add a bit of water until it's the texture of quicksand and then you're going to just simply cook it on the stove. Don't stir it. Don't mess with it or it'll crystallize. Just give it time and eventually that sugar will start to deepen into an amber color. Uh, while that sugar is cooking, you might want to be heating up some dairy. You can do it with cold dairy but again, can be a little bit dangerous. The, the sugar will spatter when you add your liquid to it. And seize. You and have to seize. kind of melt it yeah, back yeah, down. Yeah. Yeah. And amber is, uh, is on the light side of a caramel. Yeah, and it's just kind of your, to your taste. Yeah. If you like a deeper uh, caramel you should, sauce. You should try it. You should try it because most people have not tried. Yeah, it deep. really brings out uh, subtle, interesting, smoky flavors. Right. That, again, it's not for everyone, but I, I love it. Um, can we go back one more step, yeah. which is... Are you just using regular white sugar? Are you using a different... Can you use, like... I know butterscotch is with brown sugar, brown sugar. right? Mm-hmm. So like, You can use any granulated sugar. Okay. You can use brown sugar. That that one tends to be a bit more finicky mm-hmm. uh, when you're making butterscotch. It, it um, crystallizes a lot easier. Um, we use cane sugar. Same thing. Really, any sugar, once applied to heat, will eventually caramelize. Mm-hmm. So give it time, and then you're going to add some cream to that. Maybe a little knob of butter. Add some richness, and then salt and vanilla is just what I add to a basic caramel sauce. But from there, you can add so. The, so now we have caramel sauce. Now we have caramel sauce. We've got our cream in, our butter in. Everything is done. Everything right? is done. Yeah. I would have thought that you would have added some flavorings before before I that, but you add after I, at the yeah. end. Okay. I don't want any of those um, those flavors to sort of cook off. Like, right. You, you don't. Know, yeah. That's exactly where you put it towards the end. Yeah. So what's our thickness level before you start adding flavors? Are we at creme anglaise, kind of a coat of spoon, or what's our caramel? It's a coat of spoon. Okay. And that, that all depends on how much dairy you add to right. it. And first he's going to get very liquid. From mm-hmm. He's going to go from solid to liquid, and it's going to look very, very liquid. And yes. And then leave it on the stove, bring it back to a boil slowly, and then it will go... Right back to its consistency. Yep. And if your caramel seizes up, carry yeah. on. Don't worry no, about just it. Just keep going. Keep, put it back on the stove. It'll eventually uh, melt into something yeah. lovely. Heat, yeah. is, heat is your best friend heat with caramel. Heat is your best friend and your worst enemy. To clean your pan. And if you do... end up reducing it too much, so sometimes you've got the cream in there and you're, kick, you're trying to remelt the sugar, uh-huh. uh, you just add more cream, right? Mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 And it, keep in mind, it, it's going to be very liquidy uh, while it's hot. And then once it sets up, it's in the refrigerator, or chills, it's, or hits that scoop of ice cream. Right. It's going to turn into that gooey, viscous texture. Okay, so now we're going to add, uh, for your old overhaul rye that mm-hmm. you've made here in the jar, mm-hmm. now we're just going to add a, a tablespoon or two? It depends I mean, how on much, the size batch you're making. Uh, but it's really not more is better, right? 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would disagree with that. I think if you're going to call it rye whiskey caramel, you should have a good. Yeah, I'm with you. Rye I mean, whiskey. Want to know the rye? Don't, yeah. don't be to shy taste, though. To taste. Uh-huh. Don't be shy. Uh, yeah. And I, if you if you put yeah. it in, it's because you like it. Exactly. It's like people who use Grand Marnier in in sauces. I mean. Don't be shy. This is your chance to show. Okay, so now we got our caramel. You've, you've done rye. What are your other favorite flavors to add to it's caramel? A, it's always a booze of some kind. Always? <laughs> yeah, always a booze. I like a boozy caramel. Yeah. Uh, I've done coffee caramels that are tasty, but... Do you just add a powder or espresso? Espresso. espresso. Shot of espresso. Okay. Yeah, good, good espresso. So coffee yeah. caramels. Any yeah. herbaceousness? What about an Amaro caramel? Oh, that sounds really good. It yeah, because I like idea. the idea yeah. of the bitter along with the sweet. Yeah, you can okay. use. Um, I've used in the past those uh, Regulis. How do you say that in the, um, licorice uh-huh. sticks? Mm-hmm. And uh, you cut them in half and you put them in your oh, caramel wow. at the end. And you again, you cook it very gently, so it basically releases the the anise flavor. I love anise flavor. Yeah, and. Uh, it makes for a very nice, gentle caramel. Goes great on caramelized pear. One of the interesting things I'm doing, I've got a sauce that's launching on a dessert today. Uh, mm. We're doing a cranberry orange caramel. And mm. what I've done is I pulled back some of the dairy and added some fresh squeezed orange juice. Yeah. Uh, heated that and heated a bag of cranberries in with that dairy and let mm. that heat until the cranberries pop and leach out some of their juice. Then I add that to my caramelized sugar. And okay. it creates this beautiful rust-colored... Dessert that actually has a really, it's got a nice fruity flavor as mm-hmm. well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, Brittany, if somebody wants to come see you, and mm-hmm. can they watch you make a caramel sauce? At- <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually make the sauce. We have a head sauce maker oh, who does okay. all the caramels. All right. and it's, oh, the truth comes yeah, out. Yeah, and they're in like a hairnet and, you, okay, you know. so you can't yeah. They're in a big I can't sure. by and watch it being done. I thought there was a window to the kitchen back there. There is, oh, yeah. Okay. I, I'll be quite honest with you, Tom. I don't do a lot of production there. I'm uh, Most of my time oh. in the kitchen is spent doing just, you know, R&D and then little bits. If somebody called out, you can certainly find me in there. But right. I'm normally sitting in the window in Ballard uh, at, a, at a laptop. She's yeah. a big wig now. Yeah. Oh, I see that. <laughs> I love being that. able to actually get back in the kitchen, to be honest. Um, when we come Cogs back, is not as to fun. talk about her new, her new menu that's launching today. So. Oh, okay, good. So we'll do that when we okay. come back. On Cairo, it's more with Brittany Bartolaban on the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. It won't do to dream of caramel, to think of cinnamon and long for you. We're back uh, with Brittany Bartolaban. Before we get going, you were the most competitive Tasty Trivia player. (laughs) Are you staying for trivia? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would not miss it. This is going to be like the old days. The old days, exactly. So so we've found out a little bit about Brittany. Uh, You are working at Hotcakes. You really don't do much is what I heard. (laughs) I heard you say in the last segment. See how it gets transmitted? (laughs) My translation skills are awesome. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's hard to make caramel sauce when you're on a computer. 
It is. But yeah. uh, no, so you're working at Hot Cakes. Mm-hmm. You're loving it. You're mm-hmm. you're going to open a new shop in the Urban Works down there, mm-hmm. the old Rainier Brewery, right? Yes. Isn't that what Urban Works is? Uh, no, no. So it's so What's uh, Urban Works? No. It's Soto Urban Works. It's First Avenue South. Oh, the one on First, first South. Uh, the old catering it's mostly space. tasting rooms there. Okay. Um, San Juan Seltzeries there. Um, and, it used to be a brewery. Uh, not, uh, it needs a brewery there, if you ask me. <laughs> a lot of wine there. <laughs> there was one coming there. We just took over one of the uh, one of the wineries was a production wine production area that we took over. So, and uh, we're partnering up with um, Bluebird Ice Cream as well. We'll be oh, yeah. we'll be sharing that production space with them as well. So they're buddies of ours. They do all of our ice creams at our shops for us. So. So you have a new menu coming up? New menu launches today, actually. It's our winter menu. We do four seasonal menus every year. It's really different from any job I've had in my past lives where it's like, I feel like putting something on the menu, so I'll do it. Whereas at Hot Cakes, it's, um, no, there's a schedule to follow. <laughs> there's, you have to have your cogs done by this time. You have your copy written by this time. The photo shoot, this, it's just a... It's a big to do. Sounds like the, yeah. Sounds it's like not the Chef Brittany's fresh sheet that like I used to do at the Dahlia, <laughs> yeah. where it's like I feel like doing this tonight. Okay, I will. So yeah. Now you go home and do that at home. Yeah, Chef Brittany's fresh sheet every night at home. Exactly. <laughs> My guess is they probably make money that way. I would hope so. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it seems to be like working. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So what's on the new menu? What's so uh, tonight we're so big one is uh, we're launching mac and cheese. This is huh. kind That's of cool aspect cake. of this job is um, I also get to do savory things and the coffee menu and cocktails. Another thing I've never been able to do in in my past life. So uh, we're launching macaroni and cheese, which is my favorite thing on the menu. I've eaten a lot of mac and cheese last month. Wow. I got it dialed in. What's special about your mac cheese? It's just really good. It's just. Classic gooey, gooey. cheesy, uh, got a Parmigiani breadcrumb topping. I wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel with anything what? there. You didn't it's put a, any Cheetos? No, no Cheetos. You know me well because you know I thought about it. I actually thought about <laughs> potato chips. No, it's um, it's a three cheese blend, Gruyere, Beecher's flagship, and um, just Parmesan. Uh-huh. Nice corkscrew pasta and a, a breadcrumb topping, and it's got that nice cheesy pull. And Yeah. Cool. But we've also got, uh, we've got a winter fruit crisp. We always try and use fruits from our friends at Collins Family Orchard. So we're using their Bosque pears and cranberries. And we've got a, a lovely gluten-free almond streusel on top of there. Nice. Um, we have a lovely lemon cream cake. So it's just tender lemon cake with lemon Green. curd filling uh, that we're doing with a pink <laughs> grapefruit gel and a uh, little lemon thyme. It's just a nice bright spot on an otherwise very and I, that's rich what I would spicy come for. That's menu. Right up my yeah. And I know you must have a chocolate thing. <laughs> you know, we've got a whole menu of molten chocolate cakes. So I, I don't do this fall menu. I did have a German chocolate tart on the menu, but I don't fool with the chocolate for the seasonal desserts too much. Right. Uh, we've got a boozy ginger snap milk milkshake it's a bourbon ginger mm. sat milkshake that's another one of my favorites to do is oh. the boozy milkshakes we've got sort of a twist so what do on you do a, with that do you grind up sugar snaps into it or what do you have? uh we i we took our, our our pacific sea salt caramel sauce added honey um maple syrup and then a slew of spices so we just add that so to it's our just ginger ginger yeah. uh, fresh ginger juice as and well the snap is really the, the yeah snap from the we're juice. also garnishing with 
ginger snap cookie okay. crumbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we've got a nice twist on a, a Manhattan. We're calling it the witching hour. So that's classic Man- Manhattan ingredients, you know, bourbon, mm-hmm. bitters. We've got a rye whiskey rinse. Uh, and then we're sweetening that with just a little bit of a spicy brown sugar simple syrup. It's really delicious. Nice. Mulled wine. We got a boozy eggnog. So you have a bar and you have the whole thing. Oh, yeah. That's cool. Chef, yeah. would you have mulled wine or boozy eggnog first? I'm not a mulled I, wine I, I person. I think I'd have boozy eggnog yeah, if it's too. done right. It's sweet yeah, delicious. Yeah. Mulled wine for me, it's almost more about the making it than it is the drinking yeah. it. The kitchen just smells ridiculous. The smell of ridiculous. it. Yeah, uh-huh. warming uh, up the kitchen. Christmas every year at my house, my mom would always have a pot of mulled wine on the stove and nobody ever drank it. It was almost Yeah. We actually like, had, What do you do with old bad wine? Oh, let's put a bunch of spices <laughs> in exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't taste it. sugar. You put sugar too. Now your eggnog. Um, some fancy eggnog people fold in whipped yeah. egg whites or they put a little kind of like oof meringue. What's the cooked meringue? French meringue. French meringue. French meringue. Yeah. French meringue. Uh, no, you're not fancy. No, no. no. French it's meringue just, is a sporch. It's floating island. Floating island. Yeah. So sometimes Ra- oh, you, you see eggnog Il with... Il flottante? Il yeah. flottante. I did that for a wine dinner at the Dahlia one time. It was so fun. Yeah. 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 Il flottante. It's a yeah. classic... Resolves I know, but I'm, all I was saying was in eggnog, sometimes you see big chunks of meringue yeah, floating in it right. like yeah. that. Yeah. Not, not my eggnog. No. It, just add, it does have three different kinds of booze in it, though. So. Are you just buying eggnog? Or are you making no, no, it? we're making the it's egg yolks, cream, milk. Eggnog sugar, is creme anglaise. It's easy. Um, and then, well, it's yeah, easier we, uh, to buy it in a, by the court. No, it's not as good. <laughs> the problem is it's not there's as good. There's easy and there's easier. But yeah, we're adding rum. Bourbon and cognac to our cool. eggnog. It is. It should Wait come a with a warning label. Wait a minute! this one. <laughs> that sounds delicious. So when you used to work with us, mm-hmm. you were the Girl Scout cookie maven, yeah. making oddball desserts out of yes. Girl Scout cookies <laughs> yeah. or in similar nature. What's your latest Girl Scout creation? Uh, this last year, what did I do? They had a new one that was like a. Um, they've, got, they've got a new cookie. It's a chocolate cookie with like a toffee. It almost ah. looks like a thumbprint with a toffee center. Oh. Uh, and I did a milkshake with it, oh. uh, a smoked chocolate milkshake with it. So. And I also remember you have a bit of a finicky eater. Not finicky is the wrong it's word, but It's just the allergens. The yes, allergens. yes. Eggs and dairy. Uh, what are you yeah, doing allergens. these days? Any new ideas for kids that have allergies? I've that discovered a clean? really solid vegan butter at Trader Joe's. It's uh-huh. just there. It just vegan butter. And I uh, made cinnamon rolls with it when it snowed a couple of weeks ago. And my husband, who will tell me quite honestly what he thinks of anything I make. <laughs> yeah, I got my uh, wife. Yeah, my wife does the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he said I couldn't tell the difference that these were not vegan. So n- since I found this butter, I've just gone crazy. And so no flour? What do you use for flour? Oh, he can have flour. Good oh, old I thought flour. you said no gluten. No, oh, no, no. No eggs, no dairy. So, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank God he can have flour. Yeah. I, just... yeah. And do we know what the... Uh, what this uh, quote-unquote butter is made out no, of? No, I, I didn't even look at the ingredients. <laughs> World's best mom. <laughs> I go, saw vegan. That's like, crazy. Like trust Trader Go Joe's. ahead, honey. <laughs> Trader Joe made it. Should must be, be good. Fine. Yeah. yeah. Trader Joe made it. It's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uncle Trader Joe made it. <laughs> Anything else you're excited about? 
Oh, baking for Christmas. What, what's uh, yeah. your oh, Christmas, Christmas dessert? You know, our Yule logs, Yule logs Yule this year sold out. They look great. Like, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> oh, do you? I don't yeah. I always remember them not selling out, but this year they oh. sold like crazy. I remember differently. I remember them selling out. <laughs> what's yeah. the most amount of... <laughs> That's because you never made it. Yeah. You, never the you were the guy behind the computer. I remember closing computer. my eyes and seeing Yule logs for yeah. two weeks. I trust your memory <laughs> more. What's the most amount of Yule logs you ever made? The most amount? Yeah. Oh, God. Like in I, one... I, for one, like, Christmas holiday. That I personally ever made, our, like, at the Our Dahlia. company, yeah. Oh, our, I think we did 60 of them oh, in 2019. Okay. So you're but exaggerating it's, it's just a little minute. bit. Yeah. yeah, I probably had padded those numbers. Yeah. But, yeah. We did 150 in one night. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, you got to remember, you've got a bunch of other stuff you're doing at the same time, right? Exactly. Along with the, the tarts and all the pies things. The and, pie. Yeah. Luckily, we didn't have to mess with the pies. Thank you, Westlake Bakery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 60, 60 log in one night is a lot of logs. It was never... Oh, well, that's a, that's the beauty of Yule logs is you can sort of... Um, yeah, you can you step assemble, it. put it in the freezer, and like assemble the big log and then cut right. them. Yeah. Finish it yeah, as you need yeah. it. Pies aren't as forgiving. So is that, what you, is that your trick to keep them together as you make the jelly roll with the mousse in it? And then do you slice them and put them in shape and then put them in the freezer? Or do you put them in the freezer? I would just do the big roll, put it in the freezer, and then when you're getting ready to uh, put the frosting on the outside, that's when you pull it out, cut it, uh-huh. put its little stump on top. Yeah, and right. Frost yeah, it. finish it the day you need it. So and then the magic mush- mushrooms on top. And the magic mushrooms. Exactly. That's another one that can be done in advance, which I love. And the sparkly cranberries and rosemary and yeah. Lovely. Okay, so it's time for us... To dream about thrashing you in <laughs> Rub With Love Tasty Trivia. And uh, you, if I remember right, are the, you know, you're very confident. Yeah. Her and Bridget are probably yeah. the highest. Yeah. In and their Annie, Annie. Bridget, Bridget has more right answers than me, but I've got more confidence. Yeah. You're, <laughs> you're loud and dogmatic. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. So when we come back, you can uh, come back and join us and watch us thrash Sounds Brittany good. Bartolaben Sounds we'll in see. the we'll Rub of Love Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge on Cairo Radio, Hot Stove Society Show. Do we never get an answer when we're knocking at the door? All right, it's time for Food for Thought Tasty Trivia, brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs. Rub with Love Spices can uh, liven up your pantry as well as your holiday gifting. We have cool gift packs this year. Uh, you can find it locally in grocery stores like Town & Country Markets, QFC, PCC, or your favorite butcher shops. Like uh, Don and Joe's here in the Pike Place Market, Double A Meats in Tacoma, or our entire line of deliciousness, you can visit at the Hot Stove Society, Seatown Market and Fish Fry, or right here, uh, Serious Pie and Ballard, where we make them. Get out there and get your rub with love. I'm using it today. I'm using the taco spice today on shrimp. Excellent. It makes so great stuff. Yeah, hot wood oven sear on shrimp. Great Prawns. gift. Prawns, shrimp. Yeah. Uh, Pamela, we have a victim in front of us, uh, Brittany Bartleben. <laughs> future, future victim in front of us. Uh, will you tell her how to play the game and who's our lucky winner today? I don't think we had a winner last week. No, I'm, I'm not into it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I'm not into it anymore. <laughs> Sorry, team. Sorry, folks in the audience. Pam's not into it anymore. Uh, each of my fine contestants is getting five questions. 
But I'm in a really benevolent mood. And Ooh, I want everyone... Because that usually costs me money. <laughs> I know. Do I have to raise my paddle? <laughs> Sounds like an auction. No, so the questions are so easy oh. today because I want all three oh, of you to Oh, don't say that ahead of time. Shine. Uh-huh. Oh, and they're man. all themed to baking. Oh, yeah, it's really nice. Uh, <laughs> they're all into baking. <laughs> they're all based on the hotcake menu. <laughs> <laughs> What's in the soup? Oh, great. Uh, Caramel sauce. Go ahead. I'll start. Terry. Um, what television show challenges home bakers to create delicious desserts and breads in a series of head-to-head challenges? Would you like multiple choice? Yes, or please. Oh. Chopped, The Great British Bake Off, The Amazing Bake, or The Baking Wars? I'm going to go with the, the English one. It's actually chopped because there's a difference in the way the Wait, two series. Wait, you said baking. Bake. Chopped does baking, too. They do baking, too. Because of the way the competition is. Sometimes they even is. do bacon. They usually do a dessert course. Never I mind. Yeah. I won't challenge that. In- Told you it wasn't that easy, right? <laughs> that one is confusing because of the way both contests are won- uh, right. run. So it was kind of a trick question. Number two. In the process of cake baking, which of the following is not a raising agent? Steam, yeast, powdered sugar, baking powder. Ba- uh, sugar. Correct. Number three, a vanilla sponge cake sandwiched with jam and cream filling is named after which British monarch? Would you like multiple choice? Sure. Oh, for crying out loud. Elizabeth one, Elizabeth two, Victoria or George the fifth. I'm going to go with Elizabeth because she's the most common one. It's one or two. Who is it? Brit- it's Victoria. It's Victoria. Okay. See, did you, did you guys know this in the audience? You knew that? <laughs> No one else did. I mean, what kind of questions are these? It's supposed okay. to be easy. <laughs> I mean, what? one out of a hundred is not easy. Try this one. Okay. The classic chocolate brownie consists of butter, sugar, chocolate, flour, and what other ingredient? I'm going to go with baking something. Baking soda or baking powder? <laughs> one of the two. Wait, you said sugar, chocolate, oh, butter. Oh, we had she butter. Said, she said butter. Oh, butter, man. sugar, chocolate, You should flour. join the show sometime. <laughs> wait, wait, let her talk. Butter, sugar, oh, eggs. Yes. Thank it you. took a while, but he got, he, he got there. I got to it. I got to it. Uh, what baking technique breaks up lumps in flour to get a more accurate measurement? Would you like multiple choice? Yes. Whisking, separating, mixing, or sifting? Sifting. Yes. Not bad. Was that three out of five? Yes, not bad for easy questions. <laughs> when will I ever get to five out of five? <laughs> All right, Brittany, Brittany, your turn. My mm. turn. Now we're going to uh, yeah, yeah. A- watch a- there like really hard. Accordion play. <laughs> I feel like I want to switch places with Brittany because I bet the Pamela's set this up. In what temperature range is it ideal for dry, active yeast to proof, bloom, and multiply? 105 to 110, we're talking Fahrenheit. 85 to 90, 115 to 120, 145 to 150. I know the answer. You know the answer? I know the answer. I would go with the, sec- or the first one you said, 10, 
Yeah. It's, it's, it's 105. It's 105, 105 yeah. to 110. Ooh, yeah. nice. For dry active yeast. Yeah. To I'm prove. glad that wasn't my question. <laughs> what famous pastry has a crescent shape and is made by layering butter and folding <laughs> dough several times um, in succession? <laughs> you don't mean croissant, you? Did you just answer my question? <laughs> Why is he answering your question? It's a croissant. You're correct. <laughs> I think that's called mansplaining. Yeah, it's mansplaining <laughs> pastry to me, Terry. <laughs> Uh, oh, number the three, best the best, the best <laughs> ever. What nostalgic cookie was first baked by Ruth Wakefield in 1938 at the Toll House restaurant in I Massachusetts? I believe that would be the Toll House chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> Correct. You are killing me right now. <laughs> what is a special feature of a convection oven that helps cookies and cakes bake more evenly? It's the heat. It's the the air. The air. That's what yeah, we're looking yeah. for. Yeah. Air. Circulating air. Circulating air. <laughs> In bread making, what is the process of folding and pressing dough to create gluten and elasticity? Oh. <laughs> Kneading? Yes! <laughs> five out of, six, six out of five. Our guests get treated really well around here. She got six out of five. That's yes. a really one. <laughs> Tom Douglas. What type of sugar contains the most molasses? <laughs> Do you want multiple choice? Brown sugar. <laughs> You're right. Uh, number two, what is Does it? dark brown sugar have more molasses in it or light brown sugar? Dark brown sugar. Ooh, has you might have stuck it somewhere. It's the same. I think it's the color of the molasses. Oh. What is the process in pie baking called when the crust is baked on its own without the filling? Oh. Blind baking. <laughs> yeah. What popular I get two points for that. Italian dessert made with coffee and lady fingers? Tiramisu. Plates to carry me up. A boy named Sue. You are an overachiever. Who's, uh, who's Johnny Cash sang that song, right? What is the more common name for sodium bicarbonate, which is often used as, in baking as a leavening agent? I even know that. Do you? You want to help me? Because you, you, you want a mansplain. Baking soda. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And finally. Baking soda. What common dessert and pie topping is created by beating together egg whites and sugar? Cool Whip. Not even. I don't think that's even there's, egg nothing, there's no natural ingredient in there. That's in a that's five in and a half riches, out of five. Uh, you get one and a half for one. That's quick. in the richest warehouse in Buffalo, New York, is what where Cool Whip is. Thank you uh, for trouncing them, Brittany Barlow. Oh, not well. To be fair, Tom also <laughs> trounced. To be fair. To be fair. Thank you, Brittany Bartolaven. If you want to be part of the show, you can watch the taping on YouTube at Tom Douglas and Company or buy a ticket to come and be here in person like this lovely audience did today. You're listening to us on Cairo. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley. Sound in production by Sean McFadden. And our editor is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. Uh, also, remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on 97.3 FM, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening and have a fabulous weekend.